Hello, it's Charlie O'Shields, back with another episode of Sketching Stuff. I'm super excited that World Watercolor Month is here once again in July. If you love watercolor like I do, or even if you just want to give it a try this month, I do hope you'll join us. This event is an annual nonprofit event that features the 31 Watercolors in 31 Days Challenge. Or just jump in and share your watercolors or gouache paintings anytime you like during the month by simply adding hashtag World Watercolor Month whenever you post on social media, so we can add your beautiful watercolors to our online global gallery. Yep, it's just that easy. Best of all, this is a benefit for the Dreaming Zebra Foundation to help get art supplies to underprivileged kids who need them. And there's a fun souvenir shop where 100% of proceeds on purchases goes to help the cause. Learn all about it by visiting worldwatercolormonth.com. Can you tell I'm excited for the official month-long celebration of watercolor? It's been my goal from the beginning to get everyone on the planet to try this fun medium. You can paint or do like I do and color your ink sketches. Here's a little collection of stories that I hope will inspire you to see the good in the world and just maybe start a sketching and painting habit of your own. The world could really use a lot more beauty and hope, so let's make that happen in July as we enjoy a little watercolor fun. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. One Little Fish For a prompt of fish once, I took the chance to sketch some glass again along with my favorite sort of fish, a beta or Siamese fighting fish. I just love their fabulously opulent look, like they are getting ready to appear in a Vegas show wearing their best fish drag. Okay, that's probably an odd and over-the-top description, but you get the idea. When I drew this little fish, it was actually a travel theme that month. And what this has to do with travel is anyone's guess. I guess if you really wanted to travel with your betta fish, it would likely be good to keep him in a bowl of some kind. Alone, of course, as the fighting fish name doesn't come lightly. For something so beautiful, these fish can be a bit territorial in the male form. For my own part, this fish was just super fun to sketch. I managed to create him in a very short amount of time since I've sketched a few of these in my journey. A wonderful reminder that it's not just about sketching something brand new each and every day, but revisiting those things I've made before and trying them again. That's my personal challenge going forward. As much as I've sketched to date, I don't want this journey to just become a job, only a practice. Tonight in the background, I'm learning about temperatures thanks to Philippe and his latest documentary. The woman hosting the show has said molecules so many times now that I got a bit lost and I'm not quite sure what is happening. Though I'm sure it's quite fascinating as it has that dramatic music playing in the background as well. While I consider myself a smart guy and a bit of a geek, it's true that I somehow managed to marry up on this front. I try to keep up, but I'm always a bit behind when things get a bit too technical. It's no different when it comes to art or anything in life, really. I don't get excited about a lot of technical details. I get excited about stories, concepts, and epiphanies. The sort of thing you'll find in every one of the features written by artists that appear on doodlewash.com. 
There's lots of wonderful technical information there to be sure, but it's mixed with stories of real life and the glorious success that comes from human determination. What's distinct in these stories is that they aren't interviews. When questions do appear in the artist features, it was a choice of the artists themselves to create that structure. I just ask people to tell their story like I do myself each and every day. It's a wild and wonderful thing to tell your story publicly. It takes a bit of courage to reveal things that are often quite a bit personal. Indeed, a little sketch in a sketchbook is also rather personal. The things I make aren't commissions or anything grand like that, they're just musings that I made that day. And though I adore writing and started out on that path, I do get judged first by the illustration that appears. Many times I've written what I thought was a perfectly wonderful post, but far fewer people ever read or saw it because the sketch wasn't particularly amazing. In a world where everyone else carefully curates each post, it can seem more daunting than ever to just show up and say, hey, I made this today, hope you like it. But I hope in my heart that you, like me, will continue to do so. I love that we can connect on this glorious thing called the internet, but I still want it to be what it was when it began, a place to share all the wonderful little things we create in the moment. To me, that was always the magic of this technology. So it's what you'll still find me defiantly doing to this day. I have no idea how many others I can get to follow my lead, but sometimes to effect a bit of change in this crazy world, it just takes one little fish. Standing under the Eiffel Tower. I once made a quick and loose little sketch of the Eiffel Tower since I still had Paris on my mind. Also, there's no better exercise in sketching to attempt something impossibly complex in a very short amount of time. Getting all of the details is out of the question so it becomes a lesson in abstraction. From a safe distance, this looks rather like it has far more detail than is really there, and that's one of my favorite bits about sketching with watercolor, creating a quick little illusion on paper. It's actually been several years since I've stood this close to the Eiffel Tower, but I can't bear the crowds there and have never returned. The locals don't usually go near it either, so it's simply become a tourist trap by the time you see it at this angle. Though it's an impressive view and certainly worth trying once, trying to dodge all of the people peddling souvenirs and others holding clipboards asking you to sign a scam petition quickly becomes overwhelming. But if you simply look skyward, all of that disappears and the view suddenly changes to become only a magnificent marble. The last time I visited the Eiffel Tower was several years ago when Philippe and I had just started dating. He was working during the day on those trips, so I was left to wander around Paris on my own. In truth, he doesn't go near the Tour Eiffel because of the crowds it evokes, so we've never actually been there together. I think my own patience lasted only about 15 minutes before I was heading in another direction, but I still remember that glorious view. Famous monuments have a sort of magical appeal. We've all seen them in photographs, and they've become a bit like inanimate celebrities. So to see one in person is always such a thrilling treat. I remember experiencing the same feeling when traveling by train to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. 
There is literally nothing else to see in Pisa, and so it's a day trip out of Florence simply to view it. Yet I wasn't at all disappointed. Suddenly seeing something you've only ever seen in icons and photographs is just a thrilling experience. Of course, there's an endless list of monuments and man-made marvels that I've still not seen in person. I know I'll never see all of them in my lifetime, but it makes me happy to know they're out there waiting to be enjoyed. It's never possible to truly relive that very first time of seeing something extraordinary. The very act of seeing it makes it magical in the moment, but also serves to diminish some of the celebrity once enjoyed. I'm quite satisfied with my Leaning Tower of Pisa memory and will probably never see it again in person. And though every couple of years you'll find me in Paris, I'm equally happy viewing this particular icon from afar, that same distance that makes my little doodle wash seem just a bit more real. And in doing so, I get to preserve all of the allure of that first time, all of the memories of staring up into something towering and grand while hoping that guy named Philippe I'd recently met would end up being a permanent part of my life. That story had a happy ending. So I'll always have incredibly fond memories of that singular moment when I found myself standing under the Eiffel Tower. Like a bottle of maple syrup. Since I love all types of food, I wasn't sure what would qualify as awesome food, a prompt I had once, but I figured anything with maple syrup on top would certainly qualify as fantastic. So we ended up with a little bottle of maple syrup. Truly, just seeing a bottle of maple syrup as a kid made my heart smile because I knew that pancakes or French toast was possibly in my future. In that moment, it really didn't matter which one as I was just assured that something sweet and wonderful was coming my way. The shape of a maple syrup bottle is rather iconic and its tiny little handle that's so impossibly small it's not feasible for any size of human to really use it properly. Sleep informed me that these were an homage to a time when the syrup came in a much larger earthenware container. When they were shrunk to this size, the handle remained to retain a bit of the history, becoming a mere decoration instead. I love it when that happens, when through all of the modern advancements, we still pause for a moment to remember and celebrate our wonderful past. This has certainly become my approach to my daily doodle washes. I often take a moment each day to reflect on and enjoy past memories. So many new things appear each day and modern life can seem a bit chaotic at times, but nothing came from nothing. There's always a rich past that affects each little step along the way. For me, talking about the present always feels like starting in the middle of a story. I like to delve back into the time before and discover what made it all happen in the first place. Though it feels like much of what we enjoy in life has been around forever, its history is often rather short. There was a time, for example, when Facebook was actually THE Facebook in simple type and brackets, only open to students of Harvard University. This was also only in 2004, which is extremely recent history. So many of the technical things we know and use today haven't really been around all that long at all. Yet many of the th other things we know and enjoy have been around for decades or hundreds of years. What becomes important in our lives is a question of choice, but each new thing that's introduced leaves an effect of some kind. 
While I adore social media and its ability to connect us all, I don't think it's a full replacement for genuine connections. The kind that might happen over a glass of actual, not virtual, tea and some pleasant conversation. That said, it's likely impossible that we could all travel to meet each other and have that cup of tea, so this is really the next best thing. I love that I can meet people from all over the world and exchange ideas about life and art. It's a truly incredible experience. When I was a kid, such a thing would have been considered the work of science fiction. Yet today, here we are with all of the tools in place to actually make it happen. That's a pretty wonderful thing indeed. But as we zoom into this incredible future, I for one like to take little trips back in time to connect it to the past. It's the full story that doesn't often get reported these days as we talk about all of the latest events and things happening in the last few minutes. Personally, I'll leave those immediate and current events to others and happily celebrate those little bits of memories from our past, like a bottle of maple syrup. That Leaning Tower in Pisa. For a prompt a famous building once, after I had mentioned the Leaning Tower of Pisa in a previous Eiffel Tower story, that's what came to mind. I thought it would be fun to sketch another complex structure in a loose and quick way to see what might appear. This is what appeared, and it does roughly resemble the actual structure. I had the chance to visit this iconic building years ago, and it was truly awe-inspiring to see in person. You can easily get close to it without crowds as most people are lining up on the perimeter to get that iconic shot. This is the one that has appeared since the time of black and white photographs and involves standing far away and making it appear as though you're bracing the tower to keep it from falling, or with a little tilt of the camera, pushing it back to an appropriate upright position. Oddly, most people discover that if they ever attempt to photograph the tower, their first shot is a bit amiss. It's natural to tilt your camera so that the tower doesn't really lean at all, creating a shot the architects must have imagined but sadly never occurred. The tower began to lean from the very moment it was built, so if you happen to see it in person, you're truly viewing history in the making. Building began on the tower, which was simply meant to be the neighboring church's bell tower, in 1173. The true identity of the architects is a bit of a mystery, though credit has often been given to a couple different proposed architects, both of which I'm sure would probably not like to take credit for what was truly a bit of a disaster in a building. Due to the soft ground, the tower began to lean in 1178 as the third story was being added. In an effort to compensate, the remaining stories were built a bit shorter on one side, but the tower continued to lean mercilessly. Additional stories were built a bit taller on the other side to make up for the differential, but the net effect was a gloriously leaning tower that has miraculously stood until today. What I find fun about this story is that it's really not much different than the quick little sketches I make each day. They're not architecturally sound in any fashion, and I simply make little tweaks as I go, hoping the net effect will create a rough idea of the final thing. My soft soil is ink and watercolor, which tends to do whatever it pleases as I go along and makes for a rather exciting process. And like the mystery architects in Pisa, I never start over and just keep right on going until the job is complete. 
So yeah, most of my doodle washes are a bit wonky in so many ways, but it makes me happy to know that a totally wonky structure like this one has managed to captivate people for over 800 years. It shines a light on what should and shouldn't be considered perfection. Is it the intent or the outcome? Had the architects intended to build a leaning tower, they most certainly would have failed or created a tower that might have toppled over in time. Instead, they stayed true to their original vision and made little corrections as they went along to push things back into the attended path. The outcome is a dance between nature and the artist, a perfectly unique piece of work that defies all logic and yet somehow captures the spirit of the idea. For me anyway, this is the fun of painting and sketching with watercolor each day. The vision in my head never really matches the outcome, and I'm left to admire the outcome for its own original merits. And though I'm sure it was a constant struggle for those architects and builders who felt they must surely have failed in some way, I can only be inspired by that leaning tower in Pisa. Make Your Bed Day Make Your Bed Day is celebrated in September of each year. Apparently, research has proven that those who make their bed each day often have a better night's sleep, which improves mental health and happiness. That's a rather lovely and extremely simple thing to add a bit of joy into our world and make us smile. Though making a bed only once a year would not work as well, so this is simply a gentle reminder for the rest of the time. Our dog Phineas recently received a new little bed as a gift. In the store, Philippe paused before purchasing it because Phineas can be a bit finicky when it comes to things and he was worried it would be money wasted. It took more than a year for him to approve of the outdoor cot we got him and he still only uses it occasionally. But we had nothing to worry about as he was immediately curled up in the little bed and simply stared back at us with eyes that seemed to say, what the hell took you so long to get me this thing? It's soft as can be and with no sheets to bother with, Philippe and I both are rather envious of him now. Unfortunately, making a bed every day is not something that either Philippe nor I do out of habit. At best, we often fake make the bed, which involves just yanking the covers back into place without bothering to adjust the pillows. Sometimes even this is too much to deal with and the covers will remain in their crumbled form. One of my good friends refers to this as a sick bed, alluding to the kind one should only have if they've spent days bedridden or suffering from severe stomach flu. Neither Philippe nor I have been sick in years, so this is not our excuse. It's instead bits of laziness mixed with bits of simply not caring about it one way or the other. Changing sheets doesn't even supply motivation and the same rumpled look returns. Thankfully, twice a month our housekeeper comes and our bed is made properly, with surgical folds, properly placed pillows, and a dazzling look that might remind one of a fine hotel. Our sleep is rather nicer that evening, but I'm never sure if that feeling of relaxation and glee is due to the freshly made bed itself or simply the fact that we didn't have to bother with getting it to look that way. By nature, Philippe and I are not ultra-tidy people, but not so incredibly messy to a point where we would get our own reality show. There's just a touch of clutter about sometimes. While we might tidy up a bit before having friends over, the fact that we only ever have close friends over takes much of the pressure off. We've already impressed them enough to be good friends, so there's really no point in pretending to be people we're not when they're coming over. 
Our home simply looks like people actually live here, sketch and paint and cook here. I rather like these little traces of life. It's like actually inviting friends not into an overly manicured show home, but into your actual life. A lovely thought, or yes, simply a clever excuse from a guy who just doesn't want to go through all of the effort to maintain a show home. And Phineas could potentially care even less about the state of his house. As long as he has his new amazing little bed to curl up in, he's perfectly fine. We all find paths to comfort and joy in this life in very different ways. Since I've never been able to curl myself up into a little ball like my Basenji, I can at least enjoy the twice-monthly therapeutic effects of a lovely make-your-bed day. Always wear comfortable shoes. There was once a time while traveling that I would wear sneakers on the plane and pack an extra pair of dressier shoes. These days I don't bother and instead just choose the most comfortable pair of shoes from the start and stick with those the entire trip. In truth, as I get older, my life has rapidly morphed into a fashion-free sort of proposition. I used to be much more into the dress-to-impress camp and actually tried to keep up with the latest styles. Then I forgot who I was actually trying to impress in the first place and simply gave up. A little less than a decade ago, I even wore skinny jeans, which is a style that can only be worn by those very skinny without looking like a cupcake pop. I was actually very skinny at the time, but after seeing one photo taken of me in New York where, to my eye, I seemed to have acquired the shape of a Dr. Seuss character, I decided to never wear them again after that. Today I tried on a pair of regular fitting jeans at Target that actually made it look like I have a butt, so that was my fashion triumph for the year. Whether it's shoes, clothes, or anything at all really in life, it's always best to be comfortable. The shoes that I doodle washed are indeed in my typical style, but I changed the color as I'm prone to do to something I would like to have. I was thinking that a bit of seafoam green would be a nice addition to my collection, and it was also a good excuse as any to change up my paint colors a bit. It's funny now, looking back, that I used to be so concerned about what I was wearing. I worried that falling out of a fashion trend would make me seem, well, old-fashioned or simply old. As I actually got older, I realized it wasn't so bad after all. Life feels much more settled and less chaotic now, and I've already learned the lesson of how futile it is to try and impress anyone else. I can't in the end really make someone admire me. Sure, they might be impressed by my outfit and choice of style in the moment, but that's all on the surface. To make a true connection, people have to know and like the real me. That ridiculous soul who stumbles into the bathroom each morning annoyed by the light, wishing he could just crawl back in bed for a few hours. The same soul who squints into the mirror as if the image there might suddenly become more attractive simply by the act of doing so. The real me is totally full of flaws and bits of silliness. And after all of these years, I've learned one very important thing. I rather like the real me best. That guy who is so ridiculously earnest that he just wants to bring artists together for a bit of sharing, learning, and fun, and act completely devoid of any real grand design or indeed any sort of well-thought planning. A guy who likes to tell stories about his life and hopes others might be inspired to tell theirs. It's a joy to hear the stories of others as they're the pieces of life that made us the awesome folks we grew into today. Fashion can repeat itself, but our personal stories stay forever exclusive and singular. 
No matter how much they may resemble and remind us of our own, each person's story is steeped in nuances that make it entirely unique. And yet, a good story can bring us closer together and connect us in a way that material things can hope to achieve. And as we set out on our own personal creative journeys, there's so much to learn and experience. But nothing along the path should ever shake us from the core of who we are and the beautiful style we exhibit naturally. When it comes to art and life in general, it's best to always wear comfortable shoes. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. Bye.